Hi, this is India Cooper, a five-time Jeopardy! champ, currently from Madison, Indiana. You're listening to 1590 and 95.9 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. But sometimes more unexpected sounds grab our attention. Like this desert rain frog. Squeaking viral sensation. Eleven million hits and counting. It sounds like a dog toy. But actually, this is the sonorous war cry of a very angry frog. Ferocious. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, USA made with a five-year warranty. Jumpstart your plants with better light. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. And good morning. Good morning. We're all set here. We're just ready to rock and roll. We've got people from all over the North American continent on our program today, uh, a ton of stuff that we're going to jam into two hours. Uh, very happy. Right now, we've got Skeet. Good morning. Uh, from Bartlett Tree Experts, great sponsor of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking tree care, but for you folks listening uh, in uh, South Dakota, Rapid City, South Dakota on KOTA, 1380 AM and the voice of the Black Hills. Yes, the voice of the Black Hills. We're going to have the tree guy. Uh, and every time we listen to KOTA, that's how they announce it. The tree guy. And he's Dave Johnson. He's the head of the Johnson Tree Company. Uh, we figured it would be fun since Skeet is here on a regular basis to talk trees in the Midwest and meaning, uh, you know, Chicago. Uh, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa kind of things, uh, the kind of trees that are here. We thought, why not go out to Rapid City and talk about the kinds of trees they deal mm -hmm. with in the Black Hills? Uh, and so Dave Johnson is going to be on the show uh, after the break, and we'll do a little comparison about what happens in the spring uh, when you know what kind of things you're looking for, Skeet, and what kind of things Dave's looking for over there, and they've got uh, a different set of trees there. Absolutely, this is going to be a fun uh, compare contrast of uh, different trees and weather and climates, and uh, 
you know, all, all of us arborists are tree friends, so. Yeah, yeah, all arborists hang together, or you hang separately, uh, one or the other. <laughs> and spe- yeah, because you got trees there too, and you got to be careful. It's all about safety. Uh, so that that is uh, uh, how we start the show. But later, we are going to have uh, folks from Chicago Market, which is a co-op. We have we're going to have folks uh, from the Evanston. Environmental Association, Nature's Night Out is this Friday. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk to a couple of folks that we had on the show. Uh, well, no, that we went out and uh, videotaped yeah, on Friday. Yeah, you watched Facebook Friday evening. You, you uh, got David to see this. Mitchell and Laura Mitchell, uh, who uh, are from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, uh, and with a company called Lumacan. And they're helping us figure out what kind of lights we're going to have in Chicago. You know, the whole mm-hmm. the the uh, street lights are being changed yeah. out. Two hundred and seventy thousand of them. We went out with a spectrometer on Friday. Go to the Mike Novak show on Facebook and take a look at. We did four videos measuring the light levels uh, at various lights uh, that have already some of have been installed in some of the old ones and. And the new one that they have put together, Dave Mitchell and the Lumican Corporation, uh, has uh, developed, which is an amazing light. And we'll talk about that. We're not going to have as much time as we want, but, boy, it's an interesting subject and it needs to be talked right, about. Right. So, uh, And let, then Rick DeMaio is going to be on, too, and kind of explain why are we so cold. Uh, and why are we so wet? I don't know if you saw. We uh, I posted something on uh and Skeet, you'll be interested in this. Uh, Facebook, uh, we posted a, a story about how this was the wettest contiguous 12 months in history in the United States. I'm not talking just Chicago. I'm not talking other. I'm not talking about the Southeast, which is getting hammered right now. I'm not talking about the Northeast, which is getting hammered. I'm talking about the entire United States when you average it out. It has been the wettest 12 contiguous months in history. And our trees are going to show the evidence of this over the spring and summer. And that's and one there of needs the... to be some uh, proactive actions to uh, to help our trees. Well, good. And that's what I want to talk mm-hmm. about with you, uh, what folks can do for a wet, cool spring. I think the wet is more important than the cool um, and uh, how you can keep your trees healthy. And that, again, is our buddy Skeet. When we come back, we'll talk to Dave Johnson from the Johnson Tree Company. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Your phone call is always welcome, 877-711-5611. We will be right back. Want to put more life into your backyard soil? The folks at Blazing Star Nursery were amazed at how biologicals from a company called Tinyo helped transform a barren former cornfield to a vibrant native landscape. Now they recommend those products to home gardeners. Tinyo's microbial, mycorrhizal fungi and enzymes can be used on all types of crops to improve plant health and overall production. Go to blazing-star.com and while you're there, check out their pollinator packets. Farm Forward is helping to change the way our world eats and farms to promote conscientious food choices, reduce farmed animal suffering, and advance sustainable agriculture. We are changing policy, changing farming, and changing the story by working with farmers to build alternatives that put animals, farmers, and communities first. To learn more about Farm Forward's work to end animal suffering and advance sustainable agriculture, visit www.farmforward.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter and find out what you can do to help. 
Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Farm Forward. Go into the woods on May 17. That's this year's theme for Nature's Night Out to benefit the Evanston Ecology Center. Dress like your favorite woodland critter or in the color of the woods or get creative. Then show up on May 17 from 7 to 10.30 p.m. at 2024 McCormick Boulevard in Evanston. Fantastic local food and beer, a DJ catering to requests, cool eco raffle prizes, beehive tours, and more. Go to evanstonenvironment.org slash party. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. There you go. There is unrest in the forest. There is trouble with the trees. For the maples want more sunlight and the oaks ignore their pleas. So there we go. This is in honor of Skeet who said this used to be his theme when we when he was on a different radio show, which that's okay with me. Uh, this is Rush, the Be- tree song. Before I upgrade it. Before, that's exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki, and here we are, and we're very pleased. Oh, then it gets a little rock and rolly here. Trees get exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time for that. we got to get so out of here. So for everybody who just jostled their cup of coffee yeah. listening out there in Radio yeah, Land. Yeah, I can't, I can't do that because uh, Facebook will cut us off anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, Skeet is here in the studio from Bartlett Tree Experts. Go to Bartlett.com because every tree needs a champion, and, and Skeet is certainly a champion. But we have another tree champion on the phone with us this morning, and that's Dave Johnson, the tree guy from uh, KOTA in Rapid City, South Dakota. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Well, good morning. I'm Doing real well. I've got my coffee. You know, you two hours later out there. So I had to get up early on a <laughs> Sunday morning. Now, come on. It's only an hour later. We're central. You're mountain. Oh. So, <laughs> oh. So, uh, Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dave, uh, I know about Dave because uh, our show, uh, as we've mentioned, um, airs on KOTA, uh, 1380 AM News Radio, KOTA. <laughs> Uh, in Rapid City, and um, uh, the Johnson Tree Company is a, pr- a sponsor of KOTA. And I thought, you know what? Let's let's bring Dave on the show. Let's have him talk to Skeet about the different kinds of problems uh, that uh, you have out there, because they're 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 quite different from what we have here in uh, what part of the Midwest would we call this, Skeet? I'm not exactly sure. The Upper Midwest, I guess. So he'll, he'll he's the Great nodding. Lakes region. The Great, the Great there Lakes. you go. The Great Lakes region, and then we have the Black Hills. Well, it's uh, it's a uh, Upper Plains state is uh, more like what we like to call it out here because you know our trees, our native trees out here are a little bit different than the Midwestern states. Yes, you know, in fact, Illinois, uh, Minnesota, all of that. In fact, that's what I want to ask you about. What what are, what kind of trees do you generally have out there in, in the Black Hills? Well, we 
You know, we're in a different hardiness zone out here, specifically in the Rapid City area, but we're going to be zone three and four hardiness for trees. The problem that we have in the prairie, which is the western side of South Dakota, west of the Missouri River, is the high winds and and the arid regions where we have little native moisture. So cottonwood is, is common. Uh, regret, regrettably, the uh, elm trees, the, the the elm trees that are not American elm, they'll pop up all over the place. And then, of course, in the Black Hills, we have a, a different zone, kind of a special area where aspen, uh, ponderosa pine, uh, bur oak, locust trees, they're native out here. But out on the prairie, we're pretty limited as to what trees can survive the winds in the arid region. A little bit unlike the the, the the hardwood forests that start cropping up out in the Minnesota area and in Chicago, Illinois. Right. I've always I've always kind of felt uh, jealous about the deciduous forests that you have out there in that part of the country. <laughs> well you're you're kinda as you say, and I wasn't aware of this, it sort of limits uh, the kinds of trees that can grow there because mm-hmm. of the conditions you have. And I didn't realize also that the Black Hills were kind of special into themselves. And I imagine that's because they rise up from the plains. Uh, and uh, and as you said, more like zone three, four. Here in uh, the Great Lakes area, we're zone five and six, right, Skeet? Absolutely. And uh, soil conditions are quite different out that way, too. Yeah. Uh, what that's are- correct. What are the what are the soils like? Uh, for for instance, what's the pH of the soils out your way, Dave? Oh, they they get to be real highly acidic. That's why we have problems with getting uh, the maple trees, the acer trees, to grow out here in our urban forest. We, I, I again, I don't know about the Chicago area or about the deciduous forests out there, but or the urban forests out there. But we have. We have a substantial problem in, uh, with with the soils out here. They the maple trees end up getting chlorotic, and we have to treat them on an annual basis with the chelated iron to get them to grow readily out here. Wow! And so people out in the urban forest out here are losing a lot of uh, of the real old, mature, grand maple trees out here. I'm kind of excited to have Steve on here because I've got a lot to learn about about the emerald ash borer that it hasn't reached Rapid City yet, but how you guys are treating it and what kind of costs people are, are seeing to save their specialized ash trees. I hate to change the subject, but... No, it's fine. You know, that uh, the emerald ash borer has finally arrived in South Dakota, but it's on the far eastern side of the state, so it's still about 400 miles away from Rapid City. Okay. Well, you, uh, Dave, you've, you've come to the right place because uh, just <laughs> just before the show, Skeet handed me uh, a uh, report, uh, something that was going on where, Naperville? This, the, the city of Naperville um, is one of the municipalities that uh, decided to be proactive, dig their heels in, and, and not uh, take the emerald ash borer as a negative and take it as a positive and that the parkway trees are are large living assets and what it's gonna what's the next step of protecting large living assets so the city of naperville went through and um, they've been proactive in treating over 13,000 
parkway ash trees uh, with over 90% success. And as you know, a parkway Great. tree is in the sometimes the worst soil, the worst conditions. Uh, and uh, boy, to, to have that success mm-hmm. rate for a parkway tree is, is outstanding. In fact, yeah. in fact, they sometimes call those hell strips. And that's yes. and, and there's a reason for it because it's really hard for things to grow, especially a, a tree. Yeah. So yeah. you're saying ninety percent now. What what? Yeah. And, and as you also mentioned before the show, uh, the treatments for emerald ash borer have gotten better over the years. Absolutely. And you know, and I just mentioned the city of Naperville is, is a, a large case study where you're looking at thirteen over thirteen thousand trees in the municipality stepping up, saying, you know, this this is the right action for our. Uh, taxpayers, and this is money well spent, and this is a proactive approach. Residentially, uh, boy, it's over 95, 98% successful for treatments. So this is something that Dave and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, and you met, you, you, you called yourself, uh, you called Rapid City an island, and what I'm assuming there is that part of the reason ash trees got there is that people brought them in. Is Is that correct, Dave? Well, there's again, there's no emerald ash borer has been identified in the Rapid City area yet. The reason that I call it, we're an island out here for several reasons, but tree-wise, we're uh, we're the eastmost outcropping of the Rocky Mountain National Forest, and you know our highest elevation out here is only 7,200 feet, and so we we get a natural um, winter break from the Rockies, and so we don't have quite the winter time in the Rapid City area in the Black Hills area as the rest of the state does. Uh, we haven't had, the, we're also an island because we don't have any large cities, you know, within three or 400 miles of Rapid City. You've got Billings to the north and Denver to the south, and mm-hmm. and then Sioux Falls, Omaha, and Minneapolis to the east. So. We haven't had the emerald ash borer arrive here yet, and frankly, personally, I don't believe that it's going to arrive in Rapid City anytime soon because there's such a vast distance, frankly, between populated areas and Rapid City and the Black Hills. Yeah. So that's why I call ourselves a, an okay. island. We're a tree island out here. So you have you have kind of nice. I was just going to say, Go you, ahead, you, yeah, you no, it's all right. Uh, if you can make sure we're getting a good feed out to him there, Andrew, I want to make sure that he can hear me. Um, so there are naturally ash trees in Rapid City. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Na- ash tree, the Praxinus tree is native to the Black Hills and to the, to the area. Uh, we, they, yeah, they're native. We just, we just haven't experience the influx of the emerald ash borer. Okay. We, we've been told that they are coming. And I don't like the approach that most municipalities have taken in cutting down all their ash trees. I, you know, so I'm real, real thankful for Bartlett for coming up with chemical applications and rainbow so that people who have a special ash tree or a a grandiose old tree in their front yard. They, we we can save it. We can save it with chemicals and you know with some preventive treatments. And so I'm real optimistic with that. 
Uh, and I think that's I think that's a really good point to uh, to emphasize here for the folks living in Rapid City. And if you've got an ash tree, as Dave says, emerald ash borer is not there. And because it's not going to come in a wave like it did to Chicago, where there was nothing you could do to stop it. In your area, and now that we have advanced treatments, there's a really good chance you can preserve a tree and that there, it, it's not going to be the influx that it was in other parts of the country. We don't know for sure, mm-hmm. but why just cut down a tree if it's healthy right now? It- Co- correct, Mike. And, and the, the challenge is emerald ash borer is very difficult to see. You're, you're, it's, it's not like a, uh, um, a caterpillar where it's going to start to defoliate your tree. It's going to be in the tree. So you're going to go through a wave. It'll be identified. The news media will identify it. There'll be heightened awareness. And then there'll be this lull, like, geez, you know, we we expected more dead ash trees. Well, it's in the tree eating away. We don't see it. It's the lull that's deceptive, and we really need to get those preventative treatments down. The other challenge is um, trying to trap and identify if it's in the tree. So trap awareness and then do do your clients have an ash tree? Is the tree important? If the tree is important, then treatment is the next step as a preventative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it, it's I, I smile when some people say, geez, I have to do this every year. <laughs> well, no, you can lose your tree. It, it's just it's it's an act of choice. If you choose to do nothing, you're saying that tree doesn't matter to me, then take it out. If the tree is important, then the treatment. You know, we mow the lawn once a week. We we treat crab apples two or three or four times. This is just once a year on an mm-hmm. ash tree, um, you know, or it's every other year, depending on what treatment mode you you, um, you decide on. Yeah, so, I, I'll tell you, I got a friend. He's got a, a gorgeous ash tree out in the suburbs of Chicago in Oak Park. Um, it's It's got to be 80 feet tall. Um, and... He treats it every other year, and he asked me. He said, "Mike, I, I got a question for you. Um, we're paying like seven or eight hundred bucks every couple of years to treat it. Is is that worth it?" And I said, "Absolutely, mm-hmm. that's worth it. That's boy to save that tree, and and that's all you're paying. Yeah. You know, people, you got to get some perspective on that. That's in the scheme of things to save a mature tree, and it's green to the tips, and it's working, and yeah. it's living, and okay. Well, yeah. now we have success." It's, or you, do you want to budget twenty five hundred, thirty five hundred, four thousand to take the tree out and lose that in your landscape and lose the cooling effects and, and the value else. and right. and special out in that so area. So you can see, Dave, where we stand on this. We only have a few more minutes, but I wanted to get real quickly to the other serious problem you have out there, which is mountain pine beetle, because you've lost a lot of ponderosa pines. I read at one point. Or in one article that you've lost up to a third of your ponderosa pines in the Black Hills. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. The mountain pine beetle is a native pest out here that you will definitely not see in the, or at least to the extent that we have out in the Illinois area. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, the Black Hills is 1.2 million acres of forested land and the mountain pine beetle epidemic, it was a 20-year epidemic. It ended about a year and a half or two ago. And the you know the mountain pine beetle kills trees in the same manner as an, ash tr- or an emerald ash borer kills an ash tree. And lost a third. Yeah, over 400,000 acres of, the way I say it, evergreen is now ever brown. Mm. And now the problem is that that one-third is 
turning into fire fuels. So we've got some real, real serious conditions out here that we're going to have to address, and the answer is not easy. Yeah. And one of the biggest problems we have in the Black Hills is that there's seven or eight different types of property owners in the Black Hills called fragmented forest, where everything from private property to um, National Forest Service state, Forest Service counties, uh, trust lands, Indian lands. I mean, we've got so many different owners. Each owner needs uh, needs to address the fire problems that the mountain pine beetle has left behind, and so we all have to collaborate. It's it's a big issue. I'll bet and, it. Yeah. What, so how how and we've it's got, native. We know it's going to come back in ten years. It'll come back in ten years if we don't manage our forest right now. If all of these landowners can get together, collaborate, and there there has been some very positive motion in that in that regard. But the mountain pine beetle epidemic will be back in ten to twelve years, and it'll make this recent epidemic look like a picnic if we don't if we don't get some stuff started, some preemptive <laughs> moves going. Wow. I mean, uh, you already lost a third. I can't even imagine how how it could get worse. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, we've got, we, we need to break. I'm going to bring you back for just a couple of minutes, Dave. Can you hang on for us? Sure. Okay. Because sure. I want to talk about the fact that you are a state rep and what you're doing to try to protect your trees out there. Uh, he's an arborist and a state rep, something you should aspire to, Skeet. Uh, more with Dave Johnson and Skeet from Barlett. Thank you, Mike. On the Mike Novak Show with Peggy. I Bellagio. don't know that I... We'll be right back. This is Mike Novak. Are you ready to take your indoor gardening to the next level? You need to download the Anywhere, Anytime Garden Booklet from HappyLeafLED.com. You'll learn about lighting and troubleshooting and get advice from the pros about starting your seeds. Go to HappyLeafLED.com and click on the microphone to download the beta version. Your suggestions might be used in the final publication. HappyLeafLED.com. Your seedlings will thank you. Spring is finally in the air, and the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards are taking applications for this year's garden competition. Whether your garden is in your backyard, at a school, a church, a business, a community garden, or even an urban farm, you can enter as long as the garden is in the city of Chicago. Go to chicagogardeningawards.org and fill out an application. It's free, and your plot of paradise might be recognized as one of the best in the city. That's chicagogardeningawards.org. My agent asked me to take another pest control commercial, and I said, not a chance. Uh, Hello? Are we rolling? Hey, my name's Chris. I'm here to introduce a new Silly Bus song, and it's called Icky, Icky Insects. Of course, they're only icky, icky insects when they're bringing down our trees. Just keeping that in mind. Icky, icky insects have six legs. Icky, icky insects hash for eggs. Okay, enough of that. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy <laughs> Malecki. Uh, we are talking icky, icky insects. Actually, insects are cool, as we know. Just sometimes when you get emerald ash borer or or mountain pine beetle, you have problems. And we're talking to Skeet from uh, Bartlett Tree Experts and to uh, Dave Johnson, the tree guy, 
from uh, KOTA and the Johnson Tree Company in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. So we were talking just before we broke, uh, Dave, very quickly, you, you're trying to prevent uh, the, the, the mass slaughter of trees in the Black Hills that happened over 20 years and that you just came out of. Uh, and you're a state legislature and one of the uh, legislator and one of the things you've been doing is fighting for preemptive measures. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And preemptive measures, you know, we we were successful in passing unanimously through both the state house and the state senate. Uh, Black Hills Mountain pine beetle strategy and then a resilient forest strategy. The legislators, 105 legislators, voted to endorse that plan unanimously. Then last year, we actually asked for some money, because that's ultimately what it takes. And we're trying to preempt the next mountain pine beetle epidemic. And the the only way that we can do that is by thinning the forest and reducing the fuels. And active, the key words here, active forest management. And the problem is that, like I said earlier, there's up to eight different types of landowners in the Black Hills. And getting everybody to work together for the common goal of increasing forest health is difficult. But we are making progress. It's a public education thing. And and Bartlett Trees, you know, they're... They're, uh, you know, in the forefront with trying to educate the public on how to properly care for trees. Well, in our case, we're trying to educate the public and how to properly care for a national forest. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we don't. Yeah, it is difficult. We don't have a national forest uh, in the Chicago area. You have to kind of go south uh, 300 miles or more. Though we do have a lot of forest preserve land. Yes, we we do. And and this applies to forest preserve land. land. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Dave, I'm going to let you go, and I want to thank you so much for, for being on the show. Let me ask you a real quick question, because I'm going to segue segue into Skeet about the weather we've had here, which has been nasty, cold, and wet. What's the weather been like in uh, South Dakota this spring? It's been nasty, cold, and wet. <laughs> oh, he's sending it to us. Okay, there we go. Is there an, is there an echo? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The weather tends to come from west east and so you guys are just now uh, receiving what we've already gone through this spring in fact i can practically predict your weather next week based on on what we're going through right now so yeah i heard your forecast uh, you're going to have some wind and it was going to actually be a little bit warmer so i guess that's coming our way yeah that wind was the last couple of days has been very very windy and and you know, I, I have yet to find a reason for wind. I don't know why anybody <laughs> ever created that. Especially uh, when it comes to 30 and 40 miles an hour. It's just, yeah. There's no function. It's tough. And I wanted to point out before before you leave, the reason that I call myself the tree guy simply is because you know, I've been doing this for 40 years. I've been an arborist for 40 years. And when I knock on the door to look at people's trees, the first thing they say, and you probably are aware of this, is, honey, the tree guy is here. I mean, it's just natural. That's, <laughs> they don't know your name. They don't know your company name. They just know the tree guy has shown up to look at the trees. That's why I 
call myself the tree guy. Yeah. That's, that's all. I just want to make sure. Uh, no, you know what? And Dave, that is great branding. And by the way, you folks out in uh, Rapid City, uh, South Dakota, can go to johnsontree.com. Uh, for your tree care needs, you guys are serving four states, North and South Dakota, Nebraska, and Wyoming. And, uh, I, boy, Dave, I'm going to have you back on the show, and we'll talk some more because uh, it's really fascinating. Great. Yeah, I'd like that. I look forward to seeing you guys out at the ISA convention in Knoxville later this. Well, I guess it's in August. And so, I plan on being there. Be there? And I plan on being there and, uh, you know. Be safe. This, All right. This is a dangerous got... world out there with tree care, especially yeah. with big dead trees. So just, uh, you know, safety above all else. So you guys uh, can hook up. Skeet and uh, Dave, uh, you yeah. guys get together and have a cup of coffee and tell me about it later, okay? Sounds like a plan. Yeah, I look forward to that. All right, Dave. Thank ha- you. You have a great Sunday. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We've got Skeet in studio, so we talked to he Dave Johnson, the, the tree guy, and he says the weather's been what it's been like here. Wet, cold, nasty. Yes. And so what do folks need to be thinking about when it's this wet? And and I get you know, when it's this cold, things are a little slower to leaf out too, aren't they? They're definitely slower to leaf out. Um, you know, we measured it by uh, degree days, mm-hmm. and and so. And what is a degree day? Degree day is a temperature difference above fifty degrees divided by two. The Martin Arboretum has that, and a lot of our treatments are based on degree days, and so. And uh, and the degrees yeah. are cumulative, right? Mm-hmm. Through through the course of the growing season. So when an insect or a disease appears, it's you have so many cumulative degrees, and then you can start to look for that problem perfect yeah okay yeah yeah and it's usually what about 100 is where they start a lot of the issues it depends on the bug it depends on the disease depends <laughs> the icky, on the icky insect yes. and it depends on the it treatment depends if they can count it depends if they can count depends on the treatments um and then we have indicator plants also because certain plants also tell us those days uh for the timing so um though that's some of the behind the scenes, shall we say, of of treatment. What's important to know this morning, though, is that you did not bring in any insects because it's they're hard to find right now. D- is that an indication of how cold it's been? Correct. Yes. Right. That, that, would, that wow. would be the big fail on the show today. because <laughs> we, we were looking we, forward to insect races we, on the counter. We've had bagworm races in the past. and, and uh, I, we, I put the photo on my uh, website, on my blog for this morning in anticipation of having another insect here. But well, Skeet will be back in the summer, so I will be back in July. I believe it's July twenty eighth. We we looked that one up, and so uh, we're we're looking for some bug races at that point. Good, um, and, you know, and, and we you know we talk about the timing. The other challenge is with the cool, wet weather, um, putting the applications on the trees mm-hmm. become even more difficult because of that timing, uh, and, and so. Um, that backs us up a little bit. Okay, uh, explain why yeah. is it because you have to wait for the insect to come out before you can apply the whatever it is you're going to put on the tree. Correct. Right? Most of our treatments are preventative, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we need to, for for instance, on the crab apples, we need the leaves to start to come out, and then we put an active ingredient on the leaves. Well, when it's raining, uh, we don't want to be putting that active ingredient on the leaves, and and so when we get three, four, five days of rain in a row. We're backed up three, four, or five days. Now we've got contingency plans. We've got action steps to uh, to take care of those applications. Uh, though you were mentioning the wet weather, 
the, the big challenge is when we get three, four, five days of rain or as much rain as we've had, as you've been uh, speaking of, of record rain, um, the, the rain pushes the oxygen out of the soil. <clears throat> so we're at uh, capacity for the soil. Mm -hmm. And so our trees, like us, need to breathe. Those roots need the oxygen <clears throat> um, to, to function. Well, the rain that gets in there, we think rain is good, and it is, though at this level, again, the oxygen gets pushed out. So we start to get into root rot issues, and those little root hairs that absorb the nutrients and the moisture then start to shut down or rot. Just like a house plant, sometimes you overwater and it looks weepy, and you're like, geez, it's got all this water. Why can't it take up the water? And then folks add more water because they think it's drooping because it doesn't have water. Exactly. And then you kill the plant because you've just rotted all the roots. That's the, the frustration we're starting to get into. Oh, okay. Except we're not talking little plants. We're talking Big large plant. living yeah. assets. So what can people do? Yeah. <clears throat> well, we're going to need some homework out there. Um, you know, looking at the base, looking for mushrooms. I love when clients email me pictures of mushrooms. I, you know, I found these mushrooms at the base of my tree. Should I be worried? Thank you. You're on the property more than I am. Mm -hmm. Here's some homework. Um, so mushrooms, uh, a spring or fall fertilization, a once year fertilization. Uh, let's get those roots invigorated. Let's get the nutrients into the soil, especially on an urban soil. You talked about those parkway islands you know, the dead zones that we want to keep our trees. Um, we saw a demonstration at the Bartlett Research Laboratories in North Carolina. Peggy and I went down there. Uh, the air spade, is that mm -hmm. what they call it? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. And that's one way to get oxygen into the root system, right? That's it. Yeah, yeah. You get and rid of some of the compaction and allow the roots to do their thing. And it also gets rid of that volcano mulching. <laughs> Girdling roots um, that, you know, uh, plants that are planted right against the trunk of the tree and are overwatered and we get the root rot issues. So um, the, the air tool is, uh, is a wonderful tool. Um, yes, that's something we should be doing <laughs> well, more and more. But that's, that's just one of the things. But uh, when, when somebody sees mushrooms at the base of their tree, what do you tell them? Well, <laughs> Take a picture. Let's take a look at it. Then let's let's look it up and, and see what it is. You know, uh -huh. is this an old root that's just rotting away, mm -hmm. or is this an armillaria that's inside the tree? And now the fruiting bodies or the mushroom is coming out, um, and and that's going to tell us we've got some decay in the trees, and it's time to start making some decisions. Yeah, you know. And speaking of decay in trees, you know who always gets blamed for that is ants. For some reason, people go, the ants are rotting my tree. <laughs> and I say to them, no, the rot was probably there and the ants are just taking the advantage of it. The found out yeah. and there they are. And they're hollowing it out. Yeah. So the ants are a great indicator. The ants are telling us there's an issue here. Um, it's not so much the ants, as you say, it's telling us there's a hollow in the tree and we need further inspections. All right. We'll get back to Skeet in a second. But, you know, today is, we haven't even mentioned it once, it's Mother's Day. And uh, it's uh, Mother's and Others Weekend at City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center. But here's the deal. For the entire month of May, when you make a purchase at City Grange, tell your cashier that you're with the Peterson Garden Project, and a portion of your purchase will support their mission to recruit, educate, and inspire everyone to grow their own food. The Grow to Give donation matches compliments of sponsor IMG Financial. 
City Grange is located at 5500 Northwestern Avenue and is open seven days a week, and there's free valet parking on weekends. City Grange. Learn. Shop. Blossom. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. More with Skeet from Bartlett Tree Experts when we come back. This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening Chicago magazine. And for the past eight years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier and more sustainable lives. Pick up a copy of Natural Awakenings each month and enjoy new information about health and wellness, local foods, raising healthy kids, helping our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in more than 1,100 locations throughout city and suburbs or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Winter snow isn't that far behind us, but the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards are already taking applications for this year's competition. Whether your garden is in your backyard, at a school, a church, a business, a community garden, or even an urban farm, you can enter as long as it's in the city of Chicago. Go to chicagogardeningawards.org and fill out an application. It's free, and your plot of paradise might be recognized as one of the best in the city. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com and on the Gab Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up for posts in our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for their logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. I'm a lonely little petunia in an onion patch, an onion patch, an onion patch. I'm a lonely little petunia in an onion patch, and all I do is cry all day. Hawaii, Hawaii. Uh, anybody remember Arthur Godfrey? Oh, anybody yeah. out there? Uh, you're, you're, Skeet's looking like, uh, not so much. Come, uh, is he a tree guy? Uh, no, yeah. as you can tell, he's a petunia guy. No, he's guy. sitting in the onion patch. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, old Arthur Godfrey. Kathleen started singing this song the other day, and I went, I gotta find that. I know I Arthur Godfrey. I haven't heard God- that song in years. I know. Do you know that was difficult to track down that audio? It was more difficult than it should have been. Yeah. But I, I did manage to find it. Uh, Yay. You get a ding for that. <laughs> Hawaii, Hawaii. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And we've got Skeet here in uh, the studio. We're talking about cold, wet spring. And uh, one of the problems uh, that folks have, and it's their problem because they try to plant too many spruce trees. Yeah. We've got a lot of spruces and, and other trees that are susceptible to a couple of uh, diseases. And uh, I'm going to pull up that article here because uh, we've got – and now I'm not going to be able to to find it here. Okay. There's uh, Rhizosphera needle cast. And what's the other one? Cytospora canker. Cytospora canker. And you might have – could they have both at the same time? Their trees could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Ah, uh, see. <laughs> Uh, all, uh, all I got to say to you is... Shut up, Wesley. All right. Uh, for, the, for the times you smiled at me, I had to... <laughs> could, no, I, could not was, resist, Mike. That was good, Skeet. Good. Just all making right. sure people are paying attention out there. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. That's probably um, got a few likes on Facebook right So uh, Excellent. I, I had... Okay. I hope 
our our buddy um, uh, 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 Pat Scatch is listening because last year Pat sent me he sent me some photos of his trees. Mm-hmm. He has some spruce trees, and yeah. I sent them to people, a bunch of people, uh, including Scott Jameson from Bartlett and some folks from the Morton Arboretum. I said, "What do we got here?" And they were all guessing these two diseases because mm-hmm. the trees were limbed up, and and you I, got the white dripping down, right? And exactly, which is the that's a symptom of what Cytospora canker. Okay, what? Cytospora canker is a fungus that gets in the tree, and think of it um, growing, and you think of a tree as a bundle of straws that gets into those straws, into the vascular tissue, yeah. starts to grow, forms these pressure plates, pops. And that's where you get the sap ooze down the trunk of the tree. Uh, that would be more of a, a stress disease, old age disease. Um, a lot of times these spruces are planted in groupings and that can stress them and spread the disease throughout the tree. So um, cytospora canker um, is one of the frustrations because a tree could live with it for 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. It yeah. could also take the tree out in a couple of years. Oh, really? Uh, you know, and you're, you're talking about spruce and trees and, you know, black hills and, and, and different areas. You know, you think of Colorado blue spruce. We're not in Colorado. You know, Jim Schuster, who taught me at uh, Illinois Extension when I was becoming a master gardener, and he, he had a disease course, and he would say, there's a reason they call it Colorado blue spruce. And, and, so and that was 20 years ago. It, it, you know, it, that he was mm-hmm. saying that. It, and, and things haven't changed. We, you know, as, as arborists, landscape architects, homeowners, you know, diversity, diversity, diversity. You know, did we learn from Dutch elm disease? Did we learn from emerald ash borer? Did we learn from chestnut blight? You know, mixing up. Well, we haven't learned from the spruce thing because everybody wants a conifer because yes. they're, you've got green year round and yeah. they block your neighbors and everybody yes. wants to block their neighbors out. But it, the problem is... If we keep planting all of the same varieties, these uh, these uh, diseases can attack them. Yes, yes. And if one's good, ten's better, and you get a better deal on yeah. ten. But even if you only have one on your property, if your neighbors have them, it's so very the, close. Uh, let me get back to Sketch. If he's listening, Pat, if you're listening, I looked at those pictures, and I, I still have the document I put together, and I never sent it to you, and I apologize for that. You probably want to cut those things down, at least the ones that have been limbed up 15, 20 feet where there's no branches at all left and just the top of the tree because that's what happens it's a eventually. tree at that You're point. Right. Yes, yes, or the, the, um, the palm tree spruce. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, you know, and we're into the wonderful world of aesthetics. You know, if that's blocking something up above and you want to put something under underneath and keep that tree, depending on how mm-hmm. far it's limbed up, uh, that's where having a certified arborist from Bartlett Tree Experts, accredited tree care company, come out and and – and look at the patient, look at the tree. Let's make some decisions of what the next step is. Uh, and the next area of concern um, we were speaking of is uh, needle cast. Mm-hmm. So needle cast is more of a, a fungus on the needles. And so cytospora is on the trunk, needle cast is on the needles. And so that would be the next step for treatments for the spruces uh, for needle cast. Now, when we say spruce, you know, friendly reminder, we've got Colorado blue spruce. We've got Serbian spruce, Norway spruce. Uh, do they all react the same way? They do not. Okay. So, again, some diversity out there. Uh, again, bringing out your, your Bartlett teammate and, you know, 
um, started having um, the, the green team, the homeowner, the arborist working together to say, where are we? Where do we want to go? What type of budgets are we looking at? What's mm-hmm. the importance of these trees? And, and starting, how old is the tree? How old is the tree? And, and start making these decisions. And 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 that's a good point to, to bring up that if you give Bartlett a call, uh, they'll send out an arborist representative, and you can uh, you you can get a uh, what, what's it, what's the uh, a free estimate there a, evaluation evaluation is yes. the word I was yes. looking yes. for inspection oh. evaluation yeah. um, with the homeowner to take a look together. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, you know, uh, it's worth it, if, especially if you have that serious a problem. Folks, you're not going to be able to address it yourself. And, you're, and if you do, you know what folks do. Uh, they'll come to me and they'll say, should I fertilize the tree? And I want to say, well, the tree is sick. Um, you got to address the, the sickness before you can feed. You know, it's like you, you have a, a heart surgery and then let's have an eight-course meal the next day because that'll fix it, right? Well, we want to take our vitamins. And so the first step is a fertilization or a soil analysis to say, what do we have going on underground? Yeah. Um, and let's do a soil analysis. Let's talk about a soil care program to start working to get the right nutrients to the tree because you're right, we can just treat the tree, though if it's not getting the right nutrients, mm-hmm. that's we're not doing a, a, a which is why diligence. yeah you do a soil analysis and um i had a problem with the tree a few years ago and and uh you know um sean kingzett he's a good friend of mine and uh he i was looking up at the leaves and seeing discoloration he said don't look at the leaves look at the ground and uh i went oh my gosh you're right because everything happens most of it is at the soil line or below. That's that's where all the action is. The, the leaves are the indicator mm-hmm. that we need to do another test to take another yeah. inspection. Yeah. You know, you know when, you, when you go to your doctor, you would hope that they're going to hook something up to you to find out what's going on with you. And they're going to question you <laughs> and talk to yeah, you. But the and, leaves and the trees aren't talking so much, but we can certainly... Uh, hook something up to the tree. We can but you certainly want to dig and probe yeah. and, and, and inspect and, and question the tree owner to know what the history is. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and that's why you call out the, the experts and you, you get them to, to come out to you. All right. We got, uh, we got 60 seconds. What did we miss that you wanted to just say really quickly there, Skeet? Anything? Yes. Important. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> All right. Dodge that bullet for mom. There you go. All right. Um, we really appreciate, um, you know, we, we, uh, like ho- we like when the homeowners go out there and take a look at the trees. We, we uh, really appreciate our clients. Um, Bartlett's an accredited tree care company. And uh, really take a look at these newsletters. Really inspect your mm-hmm. trees. Take a look at them. Uh, we, we appreciate all the feedback. Yeah, it's good to have help. the help from, from the homeowners. Absolutely. You don't, you don't yeah. have to put it all on the And if you don't know what arborist. to look for, call your arborist. We're going to meet you out there, and let's take a look together. Always a pleasure to have you on the show, Skeet. Go to Bartlett.com. You can type in your area code, your zip code, and boom, you'll find a uh, tree care representative in our area. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. More to come. Captain's Log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. 
I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe? Author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy and wealthy wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music That's our desert rain frog. Oh, I thought we had a mouse in the studio. No, it's the desert rain frog. The oh. ang- the angry desert rain frog. Well, with all this rain, can you blame him? <laughs> and, of course, that's uh, quite different from Alan. Alan! 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 Al! Alan! Okay, welcome back to the show. Can you give me just a tad more volume there, Peg? Thank you. That's good volume. The tree guy. All right. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Boy, we're going to cram a lot into this second hour. We're going to start right uh, out with Dick Peach, who is on the phone. He's the president of the Evanston Environmental Association. Environmental. That's I'm giving it, uh, Dick, my best Bill Curtis reading. The the Evanston. There you go. <laughs> Evanston Environmental. Environmental Association. Uh, also, uh, past president of the Rotary Club of Evanston. Past president of the Evanston Chamber of Commerce. Uh, staff writer for Evanston Roundtable. You're a busy guy, Dick. Yeah, get around. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this Friday, you're having your annual event, Nature's Night Out, uh, on the 17th of May from 7 to 10.30 p.m. I'm going to be there. Peg, are you? Are yeah. You, oh, I guess we're both going to be there. We, at, we have a table there. Okay. At the Evanston. Yeah, great. The Evanston Ecology Center, 2024 McCormick Boulevard in Evanston. And, of course, WCGO is a, is a, a happy neighbor here. We're right in town, and so <laughs> pleased to be, you know, and we don't even try to put up arborvitae fences between us and the Evanston uh, Environmental Association. So there you go. Um, and so yeah. t- tell me about Nature's Night Out. What uh, what are you doing with that? Well, Nature's Night Out is is one of our major fundraisers for the, e- for the EEA. Mm-hmm. Uh, we stopped trying to squeeze in Environmental Association and just call it the EEA for short. It's easier <laughs> for all of us. And uh, it, it started out about seven years ago as the Green Ball, mm-hmm. which was our f- initial fundraiser. And we used to have that over at the Levy Center. And a couple of years back, we decided to change the venue and move it over to uh, the place where we were raising the money for it, which was the Ecology Center. And it's been a great success for us there. So we're into our uh, third year now at the Ecology Center. And it's, it's really fabulous. We have... Uh, you know, I think about 10 of the best restaurants in Evanston who are going to be supplying some, uh, I mean, a, a huge variety of food, everything from uh, 
from vegan veggie wraps to rib tips from Heckey's and uh, mini shepherd's pies from Celtic Knot and uh, stuff from Lulu's and Koi, uh, Peckish Pig, 10 Mile mm-hmm. House, uh, mm-hmm. and desserts from uh, Valley Produce and Best Little Bake Shop and Benison's and, and uh, beer from Temperance. Uh, my buddies over there, they're bringing Rip Down Porter and Greenwood Beach uh, Blonde Ale. So uh, it should be a fun evening, and all that's free with your with your ticket price. And, and I understand there's there's music as well. We're going to have a DJ. He was real popular the last couple of years. We're having mm-hmm. him back again, so we'll have music there, and uh, it'll be room for dancing. And, uh, <laughs> that usually happens oh, after about the third round of beers. Yes, after and, a few uh, beers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's a great chance to see um, what the, what the money goes to for you know the money we're raising. Uh, the the EEA has raised all the money that actually built the ecology center. Uh, the original building plus the big room addition. And then mm-hmm. uh, about two years ago, we expanded the classroom. Uh, all of that is through donations and uh, the fundraisers we do like the green ball and nature's night out. And uh, it's, it's a fun evening and it gives people a chance to see where their money goes. And uh, well, let's, uh, it gives me a chance. Pardon me? I was just going to say, let's talk about that. What, what are some of the things that the EEA is doing? Well, the EEA, our major function is to support the Ecology Center. Uh, we we work to try and develop, uh, help the Ecology Center develop programs to teach mm-hmm. uh, the citizens of, the, of Evanston and the North Shore about our environment and the importance of things that go on there. We we support their programs for, uh, uh, we have, what, uh, we do six or 700 kids a year in, in, in summer programs uh, for the uh, for the kids. Uh both at the ecology center and uh, at the uh, fog houses down at the at the uh, mm-hmm. at the lakefront, and and we do uh, canoeing classes. Uh, we do uh, all kinds of stuff for the kids uh, to try to teach them. We have adult classes uh, for uh, the ecology center. Adult classes to to teach everything from uh, home beer brewing to uh, uh, how, how to how to do all kinds of, uh, of interesting projects, uh, environmental things to do around the house. And, and of course, it's always there to answer questions if people want to call up and want to know how to recycle this or how to do that or, you know, is this is this doable or can we do that? Is it good for the environment? Uh, the staff there is phenomenal, and uh, we're real happy with them. And, and our function is to make sure that uh, that we supplement the funding that the city just can't afford to do Yeah, because we want to make sure these classes and, and this project stay on. The uh, uh, building is phenomenal. If you haven't been there and haven't seen our critters, we have a terrific collection of, uh, of animals for the kids and, and adults uh, right, to right. be able to take a look at and see there. And, and they're so much fun. Uh, so so we're going to have to break, Dick, we're going to have to break here. But the folks can go for tickets to evanstonenvironment.org slash party. It's this Friday night. Discounts, discount yes, tickets through Thursday or then at the door Friday. Yes, ma'am. Love to see everybody there. All right. We'll be there, and uh, we'll say hi, and we hope more people come and visit us as well. All right. We'll be right back. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That's not just a tree in your yard. It's an investment. It's a windbreak. It's a natural work of art. It's part of the family, which is why you want Bartlett Tree Experts to care for your tree. 
with 120 offices worldwide, Bartlett is the largest residential tree care firm in the world, and their techniques are backed by the science of the Bartlett Research Laboratories. Call for a free estimate because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Smart farmers know that good growing starts with good soil biology, and you can't do better than with products from Tinyo Biologicals, the industry leader for 30 years, now available through Blazing Star. You'll find soil and seed inoculants, growth-promoting enzymes, foliar fertilizers, and biostimulants. Whether you're conventional, organic, or in transition, learn about Tinyo's biological farm management system. Go to blazing-star.com, and while you're there, check out their pollinator packets. Go into the woods on May 17th. That's the theme for Nature's Night Out to benefit the Evanston Ecology Center. Dress like a tree or in the color of the woods or get even more creative. Then show up on May 17th from 7 to 10.30 p.m. at 2024 McCormick Boulevard in Evanston. Fantastic food and beer, a DJ catering to requests, cool eco raffle prizes, beehive tours, and more. Go to evanstonenvironment.org slash if you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contractor. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Okay, now I feel better. Okay, now I'm I'm moving. I've got the blood flowing a little bit. But, you know, speaking of underdogs, you got to uh, have fear of the underdog. People like Grant Kessler, uh, who's from Chicago Market, and uh, he is on the phone with us. Uh, Grant, good morning. Good morning. It's, Great to be here. Hey, morning, Grant. We've known Grant for several years. Grant... Uh, was uh, ha- has done work for familyfarmed.org and the Good Food Expo and Peggy and I worked with him mm-hmm. and and we've seen some of his photographs on various publications around the Chicago right, area right cuz he's he does that and uh he's he's a he's a sustainability guy all right so if if, if you're into sustainability this is the guy you want on your team um, and he's also ridiculously competent, um, which is one of the reasons we like him. Because Grant, we deal with a lot of people in a lot of different situations, and very few of them are as good at what they do as you are. So, congratulations on that. Well, thank you. <laughs> very kind. <laughs> and and uh, he's the board president of Chicago Market, which is a co-op. We talked about Chicago market on this show years ago and because and I and I hate to say it that way because I know you've been putting it together for a long time but it has been years it's about 2014 um I think so and when I was at Progresso radio down the dial so um it's still a thing in fact it is coming to fruition and that's why Grant is here today to talk about it along with all right now uh Sophia you have to give me the pronunciation of your last name well I think it's pronounced Juravel. Juravel. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, because I, I, I looked at it and I went, I have no clue. Um, 
<laughs> could have been Joravel. Yes, what I'm thinking. Yoravel, Yoravel, Joravel. <laughs> Sophia. So Joravel, right? Yes. Okay. So, and uh, Sophia is also uh, a board member. So the two of you are here to tell us what the latest is uh, at Chicago Market. In fact, uh, Peggy, I'm going to let you uh, grab the ball and run with it here because you're a member. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back and looked that up since summer of 2016. What do you mean? Which when I joined? Oh, okay, good, yeah. good for you. I need I need to get myself a membership. Okay, I'm 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 busting myself on ten thousand watt oh, radio station. We would be excited to welcome you. Okay, all right, save a space for me. All right, save a space. So Chicago Market, yeah, being a new co-op coming into Chicago, what does that mean? Right. So for that, for us, that means a um, local, sustainably focused grocery store at the corner of Wilson and Broadway in Uptown. We signed a lease for a, a beautiful space there, a former CTA station, mm-hmm. and we're going to bring delicious, healthy food from local farms and food producers to the neighborhood, provide great local jobs, um, and to your point earlier, be a sustainable uh, model for both food sourcing and how we handle food in the store and construction of the store as we get that part underway, too. So it's so- going to be a hub of activity in the neighborhood, owned by people in the neighborhood, owned by people like Peggy. <laughs> um, and, uh, but a, a co-op grocery store is a place where we want everyone to come in and shop. So it'd be right. very welcoming and, uh, we want everybody in there shopping, but ownership is about getting the store open, especially mm-hmm. at this point. Um, owners invest and that's how we get a co-op grocery store in a neighborhood where there isn't one. So when you that's say, we're working on. when you say owner for listeners who might not know what a co-op is, what exactly uh-huh. is an owner in a grocery store? So uh, a co-op grocery store is means that uh, members of the community uh, own a small share in the business. There's, they purchase, uh, in our case, for either $250 or $500, they purchase share in the business. Um, they own part of it. They have a voice in, the, in that little democracy. They uh, can vote for the board of directors. They can run to be on the board, that sort of thing. They'll have discounts and things in the store. Um, so they have some benefits. The really big benefit right now is that they are entrepreneurial and visionary and are opening a grocery store that doesn't currently exist. So if it's grassroots, it's people uh, banding together, both with volunteer hours and a little bit of their um, money to make it happen. And, and, and a couple of things I want to point out here is, and you mentioned the location at Wilson and Broadway, uh, people in Chicago, especially Northsiders, know that area and they know that station. Um, it's it's kind of iconic. And the fact that you were able to score that location for the market is pretty remarkable, uh, Grant, wouldn't you say? Uh, it is exciting. It's a beautiful space now. It used to be one of the city's uh, saddest little CTA train stations. <laughs> yes. Um, the CTA, yeah, and I'm putting that nicely, uh, the CTA... Uh, spent over $200 million renovating that whole corner and, and built a new train station across the street. And when they did that, they vacated the space we're taking um, and then renovated it. So it's an empty shell at the moment with a beautiful um, faux arts facade from the 1920s. Um, it's large. It's 13,000 plus square feet. And that was part of our goal all along was to have a place that was large enough to be um, purchasing at scale and being impactful in the local food system. Uh, we want to uh, be moving a lot of local goods and helping the farmers in the area by doing so. And so we wanted to be big enough that that was happening. And although we love being a CTA 
right there on that corner where that transit is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a sizable parking lot on the backside, which a lot of people miss. So we do want people to know that there's there'll be parking. So it's an exciting location, and uh, we're looking forward to building it out. It, being empty means we get to design, um, you know, everything that goes inside to make all the changes indoors that we want. And our design team is uh, working on that process right now. So when do you anticipate it's a opening? Beautiful space. When you're looking to open? We've announced a, a target open date of April 2020, so about a year from now. Okay. Um, we expect to start some build-out and construction this fall. And as I mentioned, design uh, sort of on paper is uh, happening at the moment. So our design team is hard at work. Right. And, and part of getting there is increasing membership, but also getting money to do the build-out. And you're... This is true. Yeah. It's a It's a city location, and it's an expensive build-out. Uh, it's an expensive project. And so the funding for it is exactly what we're um, working hard at right now. Mm-hmm. Now, Sophia, you're the owner loan campaign fund manager. Um, how are you turning to owners and other members of the community to get the funding right now? Yeah, so as you mentioned, um, the owner loan campaign is one of our main uh, sources of, of fundraising. Um, so in addition to approaching uh, financial institutions, uh, and seeking TIF funding um, as well as other grant opportunities, uh, the owner loan campaign is is a really exciting opportunity, and it's both it's it's unique and it's and it's very normal at the same time. So from the very normal perspective, it's uh, it's actually how pretty much the majority of co-ops across the country fund opening or expanding their stores. Mm-hmm. So very very common in the in the co-op space to reach out to owners for loans. But from a um, you know from a co-op perspective, it's pretty unique because you don't often get an opportunity to invest. Uh, you know, as, as owners of a, of a grocery store, you don't often get an opportunity to invest your money in something that is going to affect the neighborhood that you live in directly, mm-hmm. um, and affect the you know everything that we are talking about as far as what the grocery store is going to have. Um, it's going to support. Um, local farmers and local producers, but even before it opens up, those loans get to support local trades and crafts people that are opening the store, um, local, uh, support local salaries, uh, since we're going to try to hire from the neighborhood. So it's a it's a really amazing opportunity for owners to, to invest in the store. And what it really is is a demonstration of community support for Chicago market. So um Really unique way to get involved for owners and um, really great way for them to feel like they're part of the process. You know, not everybody has time to volunteer and may not feel like they're part of their co-op on a day-to-day basis, but the owner loan campaign is really that way. Um, And we do have a pretty lofty goal. It's $1.8 million total. We raised about $300,000 in the first phase, which was last fall, and it's totally common in the co-op world to run several phases of campaign, uh-huh. but uh, we're looking to raise remainder of the goal uh, by June 9th, and we're already $100,000 in. Wow. Um, started on April 29th. So we've, it, like I said, we, we've got a long way to go, but it's been done before, and we have an amazing team of volunteers that are that are, that are are working really hard on, on organizing events. Um. That can be attended on a on a weekly, actually more than weekly basis. Right now, we had three events our first two weeks, um, and um, uh, volunteers that are, of course, calling people, uh, calling owners. This is a, a calling based campaign, and volunteers running communications and, and social media. Our social media is going 
absolutely wild. It's, it's a really fun page to watch, even if you're not an owner. But hopefully it encourages people to become owners because there's a lot of activity. All right. Uh, let, let me stop you there because uh, we talked to Grant um, uh, several weeks ago about this. And he was <laughs> and, and, and he was very careful. He said, uh, you know, there are rules to this. And, for instance, if you're a member, uh, it's you, you really you. It's one thing, and if you're a donor, it's another, and you really can't uh, you can't approach people to donate unless they're members. Did I get that right? Uh, with one with one uh, slight correction, and that's that it's actually not a donation; it's a loan. A loan. So that's right. that's why it's an exciting investment opportunity rather than just a donation. Right. So, uh, but I'm you sorry. Are I meant. I meant. I meant I'm, you're right. It, it, that is a very important distinction. It's a loan, and yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, but but so what you're doing is you're going to people who already have buy-in to your program yeah. and you're saying, hey, we're almost there. Once this is up and running, you're really going to appreciate it. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to establish that there's a difference between the 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 people who are members and and uh, let our our folks know that um, uh, you have to be a member to to make a loan to uh, the campaign. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah, we can't just shout it to everybody from the rooftops, kind of like a um, like like other um, mm-hmm. uh, well donation opportunities. Um, it is only available to um, to owners that are uh, residing in the state of Illinois. So it is it is a unique aspect of ownership, but also a challenge too. That's that's part of the challenge. Absolutely. Yep. Right. And what about corporate members? Do you have corporate members involved who can also we be do. donating? Yeah, um, uh, business owners or businesses can be owners, and we actually do have quite a few businesses that are owners, um, and we feature them proudly on our website. Um, so that's that's something to check out, um, and and they can definitely participate in the owner loan campaign. Fantastic! You know, it's interesting. You're you're talking about the benefits of this, and I was reminded of it uh, coming to work today. As I was leaving Logan Square, I passed by the Logan Square Farmer's Market, mm-hmm. which is obviously its first Sunday. Of course, it's a nasty little day to have a, a farmer's, the first farmer's. It was 44 degrees as I was driving by and rainy, and I thought, ooh, that's that's not wonderful. But it does remind me of how vibrant Chicago's local food scene is. And you guys are following on some of several other uh, co-ops in the city. I, I'm kind of surprised, Grant, that there aren't more co-ops right now. Can can you explain that? Because the ones that uh, are there, and I'm speaking like uh, Dill Pickle and uh, Sugar Beet, Sugar Beet uh, they're wonderful places to shop. And I imagine Chicago Market is going to be like that as well. Uh, is it that hard to get one of these things up and running? Uh, well, it does take work, right? It's community organizing, and you started at the top of the show sort of giving and observing how long it does take. Um, we've been organizing since uh, 2013. We uh, launched our public campaign in 2014. Mm-hmm. And so we're at six, seven years of organizing now. And that's the truth is that's very typical. Co-ops take that kind of time. The average startup is six to ten years uh, nationally. And so we're right on target that way. But it takes uh, time to get to... Uh, what we are now, which is 1,643 owners. Um, you have to find those people. You have to talk with them. You have to build your shared vision together of what kind of story you want to put together. 
Um, then there's the site search, which took us time. We, it didn't, um, you know, it didn't just fall in our lap to find the right location. So that took some time. <laughs> um, nego- negotiating with the CTA took time. You know, just everything does uh, take time and effort. And I'd point out that on this early side, uh, it's primarily volunteer effort. So, you know, mm-hmm. we're still holding down jobs and families and that sort of thing as well for most of us. Right. Just this last year or so, transitioning into the point where we start to hire professionals to do some of the work, but there's still a lot of it that we're doing as volunteers. So those various things, uh, you know, that speak to why it is work and why they're not on every single corner. Um, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area supports 12 or 14 of them uh, in the city, and they get along, they're near each other, mm-hmm. they're supportive, um, and we think Chicago could certainly get to that, and we're doing our part for that. Um, we love the Dill Pickle and Sugar Beet out in Oak Park. They're sort of, you know, big sisters to us, and we learn from them uh, following their footsteps. Um, but the, the simple answer to the question is, why aren't there more? Somebody has to do it. And so that's what we're stepping up right. to do. Right. right. So if folks want to help you to do that, what do, how do they get involved? Uh, go to our website, which is chicagomarket.coop, C-O-O-P. Um, and there are a few things you can do there. You can uh, jump right on the join page and become an owner. One of the biggest steps to helping is stepping up and being an owner and making it happen with us. Um, there's a volunteer page so that we, mm-hmm. we love volunteers, whether owners or not. So we're happy to have people reach out to us if they'd like to get involved volunteering. Um, and for folks who are owners, um, we'd love to talk about our owner own campaign right now. So those are the big ways that people can be helpful at the moment. Besides uh, following our Facebook page, sharing our news, uh, spreading the word around, um, telling your friends who ought to be owners that they should join us, that kind of thing. Fantastic. Well, listen, thanks, guys, for being on the show. We're wishing you the best of luck. Uh, I think you're going to be fine. Uh, it's, it looks like you've, <laughs> you've, you've really got your act together and looking forward to seeing uh, the new market in Uptown. Uh, and again, uh, uh, Grant, what was the, the website? Chicagomarket.coop, right? Exactly. All right, fantastic. All right, we'll we'll talk soon, and uh, I think you'll be hearing from me. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. More coming up. Stick around. We humans produce 40 million tons of e-waste every year, but only about 12.5% of it gets recycled. In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. E-waste is predicted to increase to 65 million tons by 2017. Yikes! So what is e-waste? Discarded electronics, computers, laptops, cell phones, TVs, DVRs, etc. Here are a couple of ways to unload your electronics responsibly. Donate them to local charities, such as cell phones to battered women's shelters. Find an electronics recycler near you. It's important to do your homework and make sure that wherever you dispose of your electronics, they are handled responsibly. I'm Green Diva Meg, and you can find more low-stress green living tips at thegreendivas.com. This is Mike Novak. Serious and even not-so-serious gardeners in the Chicago area know that there's a year-round resource that always comes in handy, Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region, and it's packed with information about plants indoors and out. 
Every issue contains insightful articles by gardening pros, fantastic photos, science, and more. With features like what to do in the garden, design tips, and Chicagoland natives, you're going to be ready to grab a trowel and dig. Even I have a column in the inside back page of every issue. It's practically fact-free, and I'm proud of it. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. I had to play this version of it. Manfred Man, uh, you know, man, the Manfred Man version of this song, what was played so many times in the '70s that I just can't even listen to it anymore. So, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Of course, that's uh, the boss, Bruce Springsteen, blinded by the light. And the reason we use that is because of the guy who's. In the studio with us right now, and it's David Mitchell, and we met right from Edmonton, Alberta. Right, way, yes. we mentioned we yeah we've had folks from Rapid City, South Dakota here today, and Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada, and he's got his light fixture, which we will get to in a second. We don't have a whole lot of time, so we're going to whip through this as quickly as we can because we're trying to change out all the lights in the city of Chicago, and uh, we're going to give you a really quick lesson in what kind of lighting is important, what's safe, what's uh, healthy, um, what's good for the environment, uh, all in about 13 minutes here. So well, let's whip through it. <laughs> yeah, let's let's do that. So David, welcome. And Thank you. Thanks David, for having me. David is uh, the CEO of a company called Lumican Corporation. And do you make other things than lights? No, we do not. Um, we... Uh... We primarily focus on uh, street lighting or what we call area lighting for the uh, for cities and municipalities and parks. And parks. Yes. All right. And how is it that you got involved with what's going on in Chicago? As, as I mentioned, we're swapping out 270,000 lights. It's in the, it's, uh, the smart lighting program, which is in its second year. By August, they tell us half of the lights will have been swapped out. So... What you're bringing to the table has a kind of urgency to it, doesn't it? It does. It does. So, mm-hmm. uh, so just over a hundred thousand lights have already been switched out mm-hmm. uh, in Chicago, um, and there's actually a lot more than two hundred seventy thousand because you've you've got two, two types of lights. There's actually more, uh, but you've got a cobra head, which you see right in front of you, which is the traditional style of right. uh, of, of head, and then there's the decorative lights. You've seen those gas lamp looking fixtures. Mm-hmm. We call those decoratives, uh, and there's uh, there's Certainly, another two hundred and fifty thousand plus of those. So it's important. All right. So I, I'm way underestimating the the number of lights in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what would you put the total at? It was. It, uh, it's well over uh, five hundred thousand lights. My goodness. Yes. So uh, we're talking because about I, I remember that number impact. being, you know, being told two hundred and seventy, but you're adding all these other lights, and so yes. uh, that, and, that number is correct for the street uh, for the smart uh, city 
initiative. Okay, great. So, there, so that's, that's accurate. Oh, I get it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, as these lights are swapped out, part of the problem we've had with lights in the past is that they're not cheap uh, or that they suck up a lot of energy. Okay. And they blast their light all over the place, including into the sky. Um, and I first found out about all of this through a woman uh, named Audrey, Audrey Fisher, who's been on the show many times. Um, and she gets a ding. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She gets another one. She's a powerhouse. I mean, she is just relentless, will not let this go. And she says, we have to bring dark skies back to uh, Chicago. And she introduced me to the International Dark Sky Association. And um, and other groups that are trying to do this. And she said, when we swap out these lights, we have to do it right. So what does it mean to do it right, David? Well, first, I also want to acknowledge, uh, Audrey, the reason that, that I'm here today and the traction that we have uh, received here in Chicago uh, is in part, um, everything leads to Audrey Fisher. Uh, she's so passionate about putting in the right kind of lighting, mm-hmm. uh, what we call uh, responsible lighting. So it's it's not just about the dark skies. It's about all our environment. It's about health health and road right. safety, and it's about the environment and all the little critters and, and animals and, and ecosystems that are all around us that we have to protect. So what is the lighting called that's in right now? So we've got a mixture. Uh, for the last 50 years, the uh, uh, city of Chicago has used what's called high-pressure sodium. And high-pressure sodium is that warm amber glow light that right. you see throughout the city still. Um, and then since the conversion and the Smart, uh, smart City Initiative, uh, you'll start to see uh, the new LED. And the LED is, is a little bit different. It's not the same color. It's more white uh, and has what's called blue spectrum in it. And so, that, so that and that's blue, part of the problem. That is part of the problem. Uh, in defense to the city of Chicago, that's all that was available at the time. So they, did, they brought in the best that they could. And the reason that it was the best lighting at the time is because the technology is changing so rapidly. You you told me the other night that it changes every six months at this point. It does. Uh, so if you remember back in uh, in the early 2000s, you remember hard drives. You remember how fast that you could get a, a one mm-hmm. a one gig her, uh, hard drive, and then all of a sudden it was a it was 500 gigs, and now right. it's a terabyte. Right. Imagine how fast that changes. Yeah. It's the and same how with, the cost quickly changed. It on does. It too. So that so the cost goes down. In, in most cases, uh, but the technology is changing so fast uh, that, it's, that it's really quite hard to keep up. So you have to continue to innovate. But it is still important that the light we have have um, um, not a lot of blue spectrum yes. coming out of it. Uh, so, so that's, that's critical. That's critical. And, and what the city is doing, and the good thing that the city is doing is trying to shield some of these lights so that it's not broadcast all over the place. That's correct. Right? And so they do it partly with the LEDs themselves and partly with um, the shielding on the lights. Uh, the problem is, uh, obviously, uh, is that a lot of the fixtures and a lot of the infrastructure is very old. Mm-hmm. So that's that's critical. That's, Which that, would mean the wiring harnesses and everything else in the fixtures. True, and the poles themselves as well. So the, the city has a lot of work to do, uh, and, and from everything I've seen, they're, they're, they're doing their absolute best. Mm-hmm. Uh, shielding is important, um, and so all of our new fixtures, like the one you see in front of us, um, uh, everything comes with a shield, because from block to block and, and area to area and district to district, mm-hmm. uh, the needs of where the light goes is important. Um, there's a lot of light now that uh, that has glare in it, so the new LED has a lot of glare, um, and so for many neighborhoods, um, like uh, we discussed on the thirty second ward with uh, mm-hmm. 
with Scott the other night. Right. Um, Scott Wagesback, the alderman, came out to be with us when we did tests on Friday evening in Humboldt Park. That's right. Uh, which was actually in the 26th Ward, but I called Scott and said, come on down. And he said, yeah. And he was there for three hours with us. I yeah. mean, it was amazing to have him there. It really was. And Scott, it's great because he, he described that a lot of people even in his neighborhood put, put blackout um, on their windows. Um, so imagine, and this is after the new lights have been installed. That's right. So, yeah, and that, and then that shows gives us an idea of how bright they are, yes. and the fact that they might not be shielded properly. Correct. And so we're trying to overcome all of that. So we have the solution, um, how to how to cut out that light trespass. But here's the a really interesting point. You know, uh, we can block out our our windows. We shouldn't have to, mm-hmm. but but we can. But think about all the migratory birds and all you know the animals, the squirrels, the ecosystems. What do they do? When they have a glary, a white, a blue spectrum light that's terrible for them, they can't sleep. Um, where, where, where do they go? Yeah. Uh, and so you think about that and the impact. Uh, it, it's pretty staggering. So we have a situation here where the city is doing the right thing in, in swapping out these lights because it'll save energy, which means it translates to money. They're, I, on their website, $100 million a year. I don't know if I buy that, but uh, it will save money because it saves energy. However, there are side effects, which is we have these um, very blue LEDs that have been put in, and as we've uh, alluded to, they cause harm to human beings, to to wildlife. Um, they cause glare uh, if you're not shielded properly. And part of the problem is they're too hot. Um, there was a, an issue at the beginning of the light swap in Chicago where and they that's, were... that's a color spectrum, yeah, not, we'll get, not a heat temperature. Right. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, yep, it's not because LEDs, as you know, are not physically hot. They're No, they're, compared to previous technology, right. um, they're actually quite cool, uh, except when you get down in those lower color temperatures, that warm amber glow yeah. that the city's been used to for a long time. When you try to accomplish that in LED, it's actually quite challenging. Uh, and hasn't been available up until now. And and so the lights that have been put in, there was there was a fight to get them below four thousand Kelvin, which is a, a rating for the, for that heat. And I'm using air quotes for heat. Uh, and they got it down to three thousand K. So three thousand. Big Kel- kudos to the city of Chicago. Yeah, just for kudos that. to just for doing that. Mm-hmm. However. The technology has changed since then, and mm-hmm. you have the latest technology, and it's sitting right here on this counter yeah. in our studio. Explain your light. Yeah. Um, so we're excited, uh, obviously. Uh, we talk about the color temperature. So matching that, that warm color temperature uh, for aesthetics is, is, is important, but not nearly as important um, as the environment that we've talked about. Um, and then the road safety. So it's critical for Chicago that is a city that has snow and rain and fog uh, and overcast. Blue light bounces around in these environments uh, with a lot of elements. And so for us uh, uh, as citizens, uh, we need to be protected of that blue light because it refracts through water and, mm-hmm. and, and snow and just bounces everywhere through windshields. Uh, if, you're, if you have glasses you're driving, mm-hmm. I'm sure many of you know, when you're driving along, uh, you, whether you have glasses or not, um, you know, when someone comes with, with, he- with headlights and, and it, it kind of blinds you, put your visor down. Or when the sun's out, put your visor down. Well, now you have to do that. If, if there's glare that comes from LED, you will have to put your visor down. But for, fract- for a fraction of a second, you're actually temporarily blinded because that blue light's bouncing around. Right. If you're wearing mm-hmm. glasses, you'll, you'll have a prism effect. And we have two minutes. So you have a light that you have managed to get to 22 
hundred Kelvin, yes. uh, and it's bright enough and sharp enough to use on uh, a street. It well, it certainly is. So the challenge with lower color temperature LEDs in the past is they haven't been efficient enough, mm-hmm. which means they they couldn't the wattage wasn't low enough for the city to save the kind of money that you talked about mm-hmm. the hundred the hundreds of millions. And I know it's up there by the way because it's massive. You're going from four hundred watts down to a hundred watts or one hundred and fifty watts. Mm-hmm. That's that's considerable difference. So that so our light uh, in the color temperature every hold this up yeah so people can see this ah. absolutely. So it's about the color temperature. <laughs> it's it's about the shield. It's yeah. also about the optics. So if you look at the optics, it's got kind of a, an egg yolk uh, a lens on it. And, and that allows us to be able to shape the light and direct the light where we want to. So there's less light pollution, uh, or in most cases, no light pollution. So the idea, and we've got one minute here, and I sure. might bring you back after the break for a second. If there's something we miss, we really need to get out. But your point is you want to get these to the city of Chicago. Is that going to be possible? Absolutely. Are, are we're you, we're working. The... Yes, we're working with the city now to to uh, to, to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a pilot that's set up to to try our lights out and compare them. We, we, we encourage comparing our light to all of the lights to see uh, how it performs. And we feel really confident about it. Um, Scott. Uh, from Thirty uh, Second has has uh, asked that if he could have one in his neighborhood, so he could he could show the, the you know the differences. We did of the it. test out in the park. It was we amazing did. to see this. Light. Yeah, the traction is coming, and hopefully we get there in time to to stop the uh, the lights that are that are in now and and put in the late, the best technology. All right, we'll be right back. That's David Mitchell. This is Peggy Malecki. Are you ready to take your indoor gardening to the next level? Then you need to download the Anywhere, Anytime garden booklet from HappyLeafLED.com. You'll learn about lighting and troubleshooting and get advice from the pros about getting your seeds started. You'll also find recipes to enjoy the food you've grown indoors. Go to HappyLeafLED.com and click on the microphone to download the beta version. Jumpstart your seedlings with better light. HappyLeafLED.com. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. <laughs> Yeah, it isn't. It isn't that the future's so bright. I got to wear shades. It's because the street lights are so bright. I got to wear shades. So we got to be careful about that. Uh, Peggy, you got some information for us here. Yeah, it's it's uh, Mother's Day weekend, and so it's Mothers and Others weekend at City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center. But for the entire month of May, when you make a purchase at City Grange, tell your cashier that you're with the Peterson Garden Project, and a portion of your purchase will support their mission to recruit educate, and inspire everyone to grow their own food. The Grow to Give donation matches compliments of sponsor IMG Financial. 
City Grange is located at 5500 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago and is open seven days a week. And there's free valet parking on weekends. City Grange. Learn. Shop. Blossom. Okay, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. Uh, our friend David Mitchell from Lumican Corporation is still <laughs> in the studio. I think we got everything out that we needed. If folks want to go to your, to find out more information about your company, they go to? Yeah, to uh, lumicana.com or they can go to the IDA. So uh, a big shout out to the you. International Dark, Dark Sky, Sky Association. Mm-hmm. Yes, they've also been very helpful. Okay, yeah. you sometimes say Lumicana and mm-hmm. sometimes say Lumican. So. I do. So the, the product uh, product name is actually Lumicana and the company name is Lumican. Okay, so, just yeah. make sure that's clear. Absolutely. All right, let's bring in our meteorologist, Rick DeMille. I hope you were listening to some of that conversation. It's pretty fascinating stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I got I got part of it. Um, and I know that everybody is concerned about, like, even up here in Evanston, changing out the lights from the old lights to the new lights. They tried that, oh, gosh, I think it was like 25 years ago, and that failed miserably. And now when you drive through some communities like Evanston and Wilmette and Winnetka and Kenilworth, you go, wow, look how cool those old lights look. And it's not so much that the lights, you know, make up the, you know, the, the characteristic or the personality of the neighborhood it's now the light bulbs that i think more people are concerned about mm-hmm. are we going too bright in some areas right and i think the argument could be made in both ways <laughs> i know you know driving up and down lakeshore drive when you have you know really really low clouds drizzle and fog those sodium vapor lights just don't do the trick so the fact that they're actually replacing them with the brighter led lights makes it a little bit safer particularly along lakeshore drive but the argument can also be made you know, where it's getting too bright in some areas. So I can definitely see it both ways. Well, what what I wanted, yeah, go ahead, Dave. Uh, yeah, so you, you touched exactly on what we're talking about, where you can have, uh, you don't have to have it overlit. Uh, we, we can match that, that, that uh, neighborhood feel, that warm mm-hmm. uh, aesthetic, uh, but, with, but with proper LEDs, um, with, with no glare and, 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 and road safety in mind. And, that, and, and that's key. And true colors. Yes, and, and true that, colors. Yeah, and that's the, the other thing. These, these lights, uh, the, his 2200 Kelvin light that we've got here in the studio, the light is so true mm-hmm. at night. It's, uh, it doesn't have that orange glow. It's warm, but it doesn't have that real orange glow that no, the sodium it, lights and, have. And, and on that, the, that high-pressure sodium, that warm glow, you can't actually see any colors underneath that. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where our new technology, right. you're actually be able to see colors. Uh, it's still bright enough, not overlit. Uh, Which is good for... Crime prevention as well, and for it driving is for colors for 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 uh, safety. Yeah, right. it's absolutely critical that you can see colors. So that's kind of what we're talking about. I'm going to get you a a, a seminar in this, Rick. Uh, you need <laughs> to know it because David is a font of information. But we need to get to weather. And it was funny because earlier on the show we had um, our guy from uh, from South Dakota here, from Rapid City, and I told him, I said to him, hey, you know, the weather in Chicago this spring has been cold, wet, and nasty. I said, what's it been like in Rapid City? And he said, cold, <laughs> wet, wet, and nasty. nasty. Wet and nasty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but also white. <laughs> They've got a lot more snow in Rapid City. But, you know, we, we talk about this every year, guys. When, when, you, when you have your cold, wet, and nasty days, when you don't expect them, um, you forget all the really warm days that we had. We've had a bunch of days in the 70s. We had a couple of days close to 80 degrees, and everybody forgets about that. And it's always, you know, kind of how the cold, nasty days kind of like outweigh the fact that we had two beautiful weekends in the month of April. 
but we had also two incredibly lousy weekends where it could. So I think what everybody is looking for is a balance. Everybody is looking for sunshine and temperatures in the 45 to 50 degree range in the morning and 65 to 70 in the afternoon. Uh, note to people of Chicago, that ain't ever going to happen around here in the month of March, April, and May. I mean, it, it never is going to happen. And especially when you have a late water temperature that's still sitting at 40 degrees, kind of like what we had yesterday, overcast skies, wind off the lake, it rained, and the temperature at 3 o'clock in the afternoon was 47 degrees. I mean, that is what it is. So it gets to the point where I think people keep expecting it to be really nice for an extended long period of time. You don't have that. You have up and down, up and down, up and down. It has nothing to do with climate change. It has nothing to do with climate variability. It has everything to do with the fact that we live next to the seventh largest body of fresh water in the world, which <laughs> tends to go along its own way, which is starts out cold, ends up warm. I would love to have the same conversation in the first and second week of October, when it's like, oh my God, I can't believe how warm it is in October, but that's just the way it is. I mean, it's normal Chicago spring. The only thing that becomes bothersome about it is when it happens during the weekend, when you're trying to get stuff done, like maybe get out into your yard and do some gardening. And I gotta believe, Mike and Peg, that the garden centers are just getting completely hammered by the fact that we've had really, really lousy weather just about three or four Saturdays out of the six. Since yeah. the beginning of April. And you sent us a really amazing story, and we alluded to it earlier in the show, about how the last 12, or that we just experienced the wettest 12 months in history in the United yeah. States going back to 1895. That's just stunning. Yeah, and, and I think we can all uh, agree that it seems to be like when it gets wet, it gets really wet. When mm-hmm. it gets humid, it gets really humid. And my only concern is. You know, is the wetness that we're seeing now going to translate into very, very humid conditions once we get warm? It does look like we're going to finally get into the 70s and maybe the lower 80s by the end of this week. (laughs) However, I say that with caution because Uh Thursday and Friday, it looked like we were going to get cool and now it looks like we're going to get warm. If we see one more day this trend happening, then we could be talking about using our air conditioners by this time next week. Wow. Yeah, and because you had mentioned this to me the other day where you thought it was going to get cool, and then I saw uh, the, the forecast from other folks that had changed to warm. So, uh, And speaking of that, speaking of dueling forecasts, you're doing something with uh, Mr. Skilling really soon. Yeah, yeah. Next weekend, uh, Sunday, will be part of the University mm-hmm. of Wisconsin uh, Founders Day. So what they did is they brought in uh, four people who are doing things promoting understanding and education about climate change. Mm-hmm. So Tom is going to be running the program. I'm going to be on the uh, on the dais with uh, Steve Ackerman from University of Wisconsin. Uh, and also a woman, I forget her name, you may have that information, uh, who does some work with Chicago Botanic Garden. Mike, what's her name again? Uh, I don't have it in front of me. I'm terribly sorry. Oh, okay. Well, hopefully you can get it out to your listeners, but uh, we'll be there next Sunday. And this and is there is the Museum of Science and Industry. It, What's well, that take? There is the Museum of Science and Industry. Right. Um, and uh, we're going to be there next Sunday, and it's going to be talking about climate, and then people are going to be asking questions. Um, so it'll be a really interesting uh, event. 
All right. So give us that uh, that brief forecast one more time. And that's Tracy Holloway. There you go. That's what I was looking for. Thanks, Peg. Forecast. Uh, so cloudy today, only in the lower 50s, maybe upper 40s this afternoon with rain. Rain comes back again Tuesday and the Wednesday, a slow trend towards the 60s, Tuesday and Wednesday. And hopefully if the front stays north of us, 70s for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday as well. Sounds great. Thanks, Rick. I really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right. I just uh, was handed this by David. The Adler Planetarium is exhibiting our light and comparing it to the old lights. Are they doing it right now? Or are they going to set it up? That will happen here in the next, uh, I believe, in the next month. So look for that if you want to see uh, what LED, kind of the, the older okay. technology of We're LED. We're done. Until next time, go green or... Go home. Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. 